You're listening to the R U F at U T podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace, and you are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. Tonight's reading is from Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeliness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We have been this semester um, trying to answer the question, how do people change? Which, is the, which the Bible has a word for. The Bible has a word for how you change, which is the word sanctification, which really just means how God graciously transforms you into the person that you were created to be. And so that's what we're looking at this semester. How does that happen? And I want to set this up tonight before we look at this passage that Kay May just read for us um, about something that was very eye-opening that happened to me over winter break. I was um, home for a a big chunk of the break, and some of y'all might know we have two small kids, and they wake up crazy early, like 6.37 every morning. There's no getting around the fact that they wake up early. So I've just realized at this point in my life, if I am going to have any quiet space to be alone and even try to pray, I have to get up before them. So so in December, I just started committing. I'm going to wake up at 5 and at least have an hour or so to have my coffee and read and pray and start my day. So I started doing that, and one morning when I was in our little piano room and I had the light on and I was, I was praying, and it, it kind of dawned on me, and I realized how impatient I have been recently with my kids, just short fuse, easily irritated. And as I'm praying and asking God forgiveness, for forgiveness, for my impatience and my irritability and my short fuse, I hear our son, Reed, running down the hallway. It's 5.30. And immediately I start getting angry because I'm like, this is my time. He's not supposed to be up for another hour. So as the pitter-patter of his feet kind of round the corner and he's rubbing his eyes, coming into the room with the light on, I'm like, Read, get back to bed. You're not supposed to be up until 6.30. In my mind, I'm thinking, this is my time to be praying and asking for patience. And it kind of hit me, something's very wrong with me. <laughs> I, and, and, and what struck me about that, that morning was that I realized my expectations for how God changes me and how God changes people were very off. I assumed... Here's how God changes you. You get up and you have your coffee and you pray and you read the Bible and he waves his magic wand and infuses you with patience or with gentleness or kind of whatever you need. 
And I don't think that that's how it works. I think that you don't become a patient person by God just magically making you patient. You become a patient person when real opportunities are presented in front of you. And out of devotion to God, empowered by the Spirit, you intentionally choose to react with patience. In other words, sanctification does not happen by passive osmosis. It happens through real, tangible, practical acts of obedience. Sanctification does not happen by passive osmosis. It happens through real, tangible, practical acts of obedience. I mean, think about it like this. Let's say that you're way into music and you go to class uh, every single week and, and, you're, and you're learning music theory and you're listening to musicians on podcasts being interviewed talking about their music and you go to concerts all the time and you've always got your earbuds and you're always listening to music and you're just obsessed with music that does not make you a good musician you know what makes you a good musician practice practice and practice it's the same way with the christian life here's my big here's my big point here's here's all i'm saying for tonight i've got one basic idea information is not transformation. Information is not the same thing as transformation. You can be a consumer of religious goods and download a lot of spiritual data into your head. You can go to things like RUF and you can go to uh, retreats and you can go to conferences and you can listen exclusively to Christian music and you can listen to Christian podcasts and, and read Christian books and Uh, on and on and on, that does not necessarily transform you. Here's the thing that I don't want to say and you don't want to hear, but it's this. If you want to grow, if you want to actually grow into someone that loves God more, grow into the person that you were created to be, it takes effort on your part. It takes work. It takes practice. So here's, here's the question then. Okay, but what do you do? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about two big ideas tonight that you don't want me to talk about, but I will. Um, the pro- I want to talk about the problem and the practice. They both start with P, so it's easy to remember. What's our problem? What's your problem? And then what's the practice? What do we do? So let's talk about, let's talk about our problem first. And here's where I want to jump in. Look at this passage, Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 22. Paul says, you were taught to, quote, put off your old self. Now, if you've been around RUF at all this semester, I keep talking about this, and we're going to keep talking about this because this is a big deal. What is your old self? Well, he goes on to elaborate, your old self belongs to your, quote, former manner of life. He's looking at Christians, and and he says, when you became a Christian, when you were united to Jesus by faith, Something changed in you. You became a new self. Your old self went away. It's your former manner of life. What you were like before you were connected to Jesus. And what were you like before you were connected to Jesus? You were dominated by what I do, what I have, and what people think of me. That's your old self. It's that selfish ambition. It's that compulsive need in you to be compared to, to be better than, to be recognized for. It's, that, it's your ego, in other words. And he goes on and he says, 
This, this belongs to your former manner of life. Now, you need, to, you need to realize that your old self does not necessarily look evil and wicked. It just looks natural. It just looks like everybody else. Everybody else, we're obsessed with what I do. Making a name for myself. What I have. What, what, what can I have to prove myself? What do people think of me? It just looks normal. And we've been saying that when you become a Christian, your old self dies. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Paul's not saying I actually physically was crucified. Something about me died. It's my old self. In other words, even though this thing is still, even though this thing is dead, you still carry around the residue of it. I've been talking about it like muscle memory. You have old habits, old ways of thinking, old desires that are your former way of life and they're not who you actually are anymore. The, the best image that I heard that kind of captures this idea is uh, that I heard from a pastor, Brian Habig. And he said to picture this microphone not making that noise anymore. He said, picture a... Uh, soldier that has like lost a limb in combat. I mean, you, you may be familiar with this, that when somebody has lost a limb, sometimes they can experience what's called phantom pains. Meaning even though their leg is gone, it still feels like it's there. So he said, imagine a soldier that like has gone into combat, they've, they've, they've gotten injured, they got medical help, their leg had to be amputated, and they kind of come out of the coma or whatever, and the doctor shows them you no longer have a right leg, and they see it. And let's just say that as they're laying in the hospital bed, someone comes in with a butcher knife, and they put it over the spot where their leg was, and they plunge it into the bed. The soldier freaks out and jerks out of the way because it feels like it's about to hit his leg that's not there. All it does is hit mattress. But the point is, even though this thing is gone, you can still react and behave as if it's still there because it feels like it's there. That's the best image that, I can, that I've ever heard about what it's like when the Bible's talking about this thing called your old self. It's not there anymore, but it still feels like it, and you can still live and react and behave as if it's still around. And here's what this means functionally. You can live your life in old self mode and not even know it. And you know what it takes to live in old self mode? You know what you have to do to get into old self mode? You just have to wake up. You wake up in the morning and what's, what are you automatically thinking? Me first. I've got to be recognized. I've got to be better than these people. I've got to be seen. I've got to accomplish. I've got to validate my existence. I cannot fail. I've got to hide my flaws. I've got to keep going. Life is determined by what I do and what I have and what people think of me. And you're already in the mode and you didn't even know it. Look at, look at the next verse. Verse 22. Paul says, your old self is corrupt through deceitful desires. If you have a, a pen or a highlighter, highlight that word, deceitful desires. That little phrase has been very illuminating to me. What Paul is saying is you have old self-desires that lie to you, that deceive you, that are tricking you. And if you believe them, your life gets corrupted. So, for example, you're going through your life 
and you have this impulse, I need people to see me as put together. I need for people to see me as put together. That is a lie. You don't need that. You prefer that. But it's a lie to to live your life based on the premise, I need people to think that I'm put together. Or, uh, I need to be on time to things. No, you don't. You prefer to, but you don't need to. I need to get in this grad program, or I need to get in this internship. I need people to like me. I need people to see me as nice. These are all lies that we just believe because we are just in old self mode. And so here, here, here's, my, here's, here's your problem. Here's our, here's our problem. Here's my problem. Our day in and day out problem is that we have old self desires that are constantly lying to us. That's our problem. We just showed up today living in old self mode if we were not aware of it. And tomorrow morning, you are going to wake up and you are, this is your default setting. You are automatically defaulted into old self mode if you don't know it. That's our problem. So what do we do? I just gave you a bunch of information, but information is not transformation. So what do we do about this problem that we all have? Well, here's the second thing I want to look at. I want to look at the practice. What do we practically do? And here's where I want to get very concrete and very practical, because I'm sure some of you, if you've been around this semester, are like, okay, you keep talking about change, but like, what do I do? Tonight's your night. And, and, here's, and here's what I want to do. There, 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 there's this template. There's these three little steps that I've heard from somebody else that have been extremely helpful for me. And I'm going to pass them on to you. Maybe they'll be helpful for you. Maybe they won't. I don't know. But I, I recall these three steps in my mind throughout the day as I live my life. And I'm going to walk through them with you. There are these. Recognize. Remember. Redress. <laughs> recognize, remember, redress. A lot of alliteration tonight. So I want to just walk through these one at a time. Recognize. This is the first step in the practice of being who you are in Christ. Recognize. And I think this probably is the hardest step. What I mean simply is that um, you, you recognize that you are experiencing or feeling something or you are being tempted to do something. This is you having enough space and distance from yourself to get outside of yourself and to see in what is actually going on inside of you. So, for example, um, I don't know if you're anything like me, but it's just easy to go through life on autopilot. You're just reacting to what's kind of happening around you, and it's hard to get outside of yourself and to see, oh, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm experiencing. So let's say uh, tomorrow you accidentally sleep in, and now you're late for class, and so you're frazzled, and you've and you got to get out the door, and you got to drive to class because you can't, you you're, you don't live on campus anymore, and so you get in the car, and your heartbeat is already kind of racing, and then you hit I-40 traffic, and you're like, oh, why is everybody on the highway right now? And by the time you finally get to campus, you're driving around the parking lot, and you're like, there are no spots. Why is parking so horrible at Tennessee? And you're frustrated, and your heart is racing, and you stop, and you catch yourself, and you recognize. I am angry right now. 
I feel stress. I feel irritation. Rather than just letting that feeling consume you and govern how you are existing, you get outside of yourself and you recognize this is, what's, this is what I'm experiencing. Or maybe another example, you come into a room like this, come into a, a room with a lot of people in it, and you immediately feel some level of anxiety, insecurity, and you find yourself either wanting to leave or to retreat in the corner or to hide in your phone and get away from everybody. And rather than just being dominated by that feeling, you stop and you recognize, I'm anxious, I'm insecure, I'm afraid. This is the first step, getting outside of yourself and recognizing what you're feeling and what you're experiencing, and not just recognizing what you're feeling, but seeking to understand why you're feeling that particular thing. And the way that you do this is that you ask yourself that question, why? Why am I feeling this right now? So let's give you another example. Let's say that you've got a test coming up in a week. Let's say not a week because of uh, spring break next week. Let's just say theoretically classes were going on next week and you had, a, uh, you had a test coming up next week and there's this storm cloud of worry that comes over you as you think about this test that's coming up. And you recognize, you get outside of yourself and you recognize, okay, I'm extremely worried and stressed out about this test next week. And you stop and you literally ask yourself the question, why? Why am I worried and stressed out about this test? And you say, well, because I need this to go well. Okay, keep asking why. Why do you need this to go well? Because I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't do well on this test. Why is that? Well, because I don't really trust you, Jesus. And you've gotten to the bottom of it, and you've, and you've seen, okay, my desires are lying to me. They're telling me, Jesus isn't good or he's not good enough and I need something else other than him to have a good life. I've been tricked again. Or, uh, here's another scenario. Uh, Let's say that you're a senior and someone in your friend group or maybe someone in your GLS program or someone in your sorority or your fraternity gets an awesome job offer and they are heading to a really exciting, fun city and with really fun, exciting people, and you don't have any options on the table. And when you hear this news, some of y'all are nudging each other because this is hitting too close to home, but when you hear this news, you hate that person. I mean, you love that person because they're your friend, but you hate that person. And you stop and you recognize, okay, why am I feeling such levels of envy towards that person? And you ask why. Why am I feeling so much envy? And you say, well, I'm defining myself by comparing myself to them. Okay, why am I doing that? Because I'm not content with what Jesus has given me. See, what you're doing is you're you're unmasking the deceitful desires and you're getting to the bottom of it and you're saying, okay, my old self is, is lying to me. My old self is telling me what is true about reality and it's false. These are lies. That's the first step, is recognize. Again, this is the hardest step, because it's just so easy to have just the lies be the thing that you go through life dominated by. But you get outside of yourself, you ask why, you recognize it, and here's the second step. You remember. You remember who you are in Christ. Look at, look at verse 23. Paul says, put off your old self, 
verse 23, uh, which belongs to your former manner of life, verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. It's talking about your mindset. Your mindset has to be renewed. You have to think about yourself differently. You have to think about reality differently. You have to have a renewed way of thinking. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when uh, we looked at Romans 6, when Paul says, you are dead to sin, so count yourself dead to sin. You are in Christ, therefore live as if you are in Christ. Remember who you truly are. Um, a few weeks ago, I was in the, the Kroger grocery shopping, and um, I was on the cereal aisle, and there was, a, there was a woman that came down the aisle opposite, opposite me, and she, she was speaking to herself. She was just like talking to herself. And at first, I, and, and, I, and I saw this, and then I, and then I realized, oh, okay, this has happened to me. I'm sure this has happened to you, where you see somebody talking to themselves, and then they kind of turn their head, and you're like, you see the earpiece, and like, they're in a conversation with someone. They're not really crazy. And, um, but here's this woman walking out, and I'm kind of looking at her because it's odd. There's nobody else that she's talking to, and she turns her head, no earpiece. She literally was just talking to herself. I, uh, she was saying, um, I think I'm going to get me some frosted mini weeds. No, I am not. I'm going to do frosted flakes instead. And then, and, uh, I was just like, she's very confident that she's just like verbally processing out loud in the grocery store. And, and what I'm suggesting to you is, is to do something that's not that far off from what that woman was doing talking to yourself. Maybe not out loud, but maybe, I don't know, maybe that would be helpful for you. But my point is, you, your old self-desires are constantly screaming at you. And part of what it means to mature and to grow up as a believer in Christ is to learn to talk back to those desires. So you have these old self-desires that are constantly lying to you, and part of what it means to grow as a Christian is talking back to them and saying, that's not who I am anymore. I don't have to listen to you. The voice comes in and says, I need my body to look a certain way. And you can get outside of it and look at yourself and say, no, I don't. That is a lie. What I need is Jesus, and he is who I have. You're talking back to the desire rather than having that desire consume you. Or you have another desire that comes in and says, I need for my, for my parents to be proud of me. And you can look at that and say, that's a lie. I prefer for my parents to be proud of me, but that's not true. What I need is Jesus and he is what I have. In other words, in this step, you know, recognize, remember, in the remember step, you are turning from those old desires, your sin, the old yucky ways of living, and you're turning to the Christ within you for grace and for forgiveness and to remind yourself that he is all that you need. Because what you and I most desperately want in this life is that we want to be wanted. We want to be known. We want to be cherished. We want to be thought well of. We want to be praised. We want to be accepted. We want to be loved. And your old self is screaming at you. You can find that all over the place. And part of what it means to be a Christian is to preach the gospel first to yourself and saying, I have all of that in Christ. 
In him I am loved. In him I am accepted. I am embraced. I am cherished. I am thought well of. I am accepted. I am validated. I don't have to listen to you anymore. That is not who I am anymore. In fact, I, I have found myself saying that phrase more and more over the past couple months. That's not who I am anymore. I'm a new creation in Christ. That's step number two. First thing is to recognize, to get to the bottom of why am I feeling what I'm feeling. And then the second thing is to remember who you are. And then here's the third thing. Here's step three. To redress. To redress. Look at, um, look at verse 22. Verse 22 says, put off the old self. And look at verse 24. And put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It uses this language of putting on clothing. And think about it. When you put on clothes, you have to be very intentional and thoughtful about what you are doing. If you are going to a job interview with EY, you don't roll in in your sweatpants and your chacos, right? You, you dress according to what the task is in front of you. If you're going to an intramural basketball game or you're going to work out, you, you, you take off your sports coat, you take off your dress shoes, and you put on your Air Jordans and you put on your Lululemons or whatever, and you dress appropriately for the task that's in front of you. If you are a Christian, the task that is in front of you is to walk in newness of life to actually be who you are in Christ. And what that means is that you have to proactively put off those old self-instincts and to put on new ones. Just like you would get dressed, it takes work, it takes intentionality, it takes thought. I am going to stop this and I'm going to start this. Um, I am sure 95% of this room does not watch the show Seinfeld. There's my 5%. But you should. It's an amazing show. And there's this one episode I'm going to walk you through that has, in some ways, kind of changed my whole way of thinking about Christianity. It's an amazing statement. But uh, the show often takes place at a coffee shop, if you're familiar. And, and the show revolves around these friends. And there's three friends in this particular episode that are at this coffee shop. You have George, who's kind of the short, bald, kind of loser of the group. His friend Elaine, and then their mutual friend Jerry, whose last name is Seinfeld. So the three of them are at this coffee shop, and, and to set up the scene, George has just been out thinking about his life and realizing he has kind of hit rock bottom. He is depressed, he, he's at the lowest point of his life, and he comes into the coffee shop and he kind of flops down, and here's what he says. I've, I've written out the script. Here's what he says. Why did it all turn out like this for me? I had so much promise. I was personable. I was bright. It became very clear to me sitting out there today that every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. My life is the opposite of everything I want it to be. Every instinct I have in every area of life, be it something to wear, something to eat, it's all been wrong. And there's this waitress that comes up, and because they order food there every single day, she just anticipates what he's going to order, and she says, tuna on toast, coleslaw, and a cup of coffee. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, wait, 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 no. 
And he goes on. He says, wait a minute. I always have tuna on toast. Nothing's ever worked out for me with tuna on toast. I want the complete opposite of tuna on toast. Chicken salad, on rye, untoasted, and a cup of tea. And Elaine kind of like rolls her eyes and she's like, well, there's no telling what can happen from this. And there's this, there's this woman across the coffee shop that kind of looks over at George as he orders. And Elaine leans over and says, George, you know that woman just looked at you. And George goes, so what? What am I supposed to do? And Elaine says, go talk to her. And George says, Elaine, bald men with no jobs and no money who live with their parents don't approach strange women. And Jerry says, well, here's your chance to try the opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up to them. And George kind of is like, yeah, I should do the opposite. And Jerry says, if every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. And George kind of has this light bulb moment in his face, and he goes, yes, I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day, so now I will do the opposite, and I will do something. And he gets up from his booth, and he goes over to this woman, and he says, excuse me, I couldn't help but notice you were looking in my direction. And she says, yes, uh, you just ordered the same exact lunch as me. And he goes, my name is George. I'm unemployed, and I live with my parents. And she goes, I'm Victoria. Hi. And like the rest of this episode is him doing the exact opposite of every impulse that he has. And like by the end of the episode, like everything has like magically worked out for him. And that makes me think a little bit about my life as a Christian, that every instinct, I, my knee-jerk reaction to most everything is wrong. It's an old self-default reaction. So my child comes in and interrupts me while I'm praying, knee-jerk reaction, anger and impatience. Catherine confronts me about some way that I have hurt her, knee-jerk reaction, get defensive. Somebody communicates something to me about how I've disappointed them. Knee-jerk reaction is, you know, cr- I'm crushed with self-pity and despair. Um, students stop coming to RUF. Knee-jerk reaction, I want to crawl in a hole and suck my thumb. These are just all knee-jerk, default, old self-instincts. And what I am beginning to learn to do at this point in my life is Ephesians 4. Recognize, remember, and then put off those old self-instincts and put on new ones. That's not who I am anymore. I'm going to do the opposite because that's who actually I truly am. So what what this might look like for you practically. Let's say for you, you find out some juicy, incriminating news about someone in your sorority. And you are dying to tell your friends. Because this gives you an, you're an insider to privileged information and now you have data on somebody that puts them below you in your friend group and it is so delicious. And you cannot wait to share that information. And what you do is you stop and you catch yourself and you say, that is an old self instinct. That is not who I am anymore. And I'm gonna do the opposite. Rather than throwing this person under the bus, I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to maybe seek this person out. That's who I truly am. 
Or maybe another scenario is, uh, let's say this weekend or maybe this week, spring break coming up, you're with your friends and the drinks are flowing and it is a fun night and you're, you're two drinks in and you are just warming up and everybody is going hard in the paint around you and everything inside of you is screaming, keep going, keep going, life is found if you keep going and you stop and you recognize this is a lie and you do the opposite. You put off the old self instinct and you put on the new, I'm going to stop. I am not going to get drunk because that is not who I am in Christ anymore. Put off the old, put on the new. And I'm not naive. This is extremely hard. This is hard for me. But here's the question. Why in the world would you go to this much trouble? Why would you do this? Why would you constantly walk around trying to recognize and remember and redress and doing the opposite? This feels like a lot of work. Why would you go to this much trouble and work this hard? Because the way that you and I are just normally living is so much harder, isn't it? To wake up every single day and just be crushed by these ideas of, I don't measure up, I must perform, I must hide my flaws, nobody can see my struggles of what I really deal with, I must validate myself, everything comes down to what I do and what I have and what people think of me. I mean, aren't you sick of being crushed by that sort of way of living and just being dominated by anxiety and anger and exhaustion and guilt and shame? It's exhausting. When you get sick of living like that, you might actually discover there's, there's a better way to live. But it takes practice. But that is not the life you and I were intended to live. We're intended to walk in a new life, a new life that is dominated by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. So what I want to invite you to do tonight, and really for the rest of your life, is to practice, to begin practicing who you are. And that might look like for you, you going through the life with that with that template in your head, recognize, remember, redress. Why am I doing this? Remember who I am in Christ and put off the old and put on the new. That is the invitation. Put off your old self, which is corrupt through its deceitful desires. Put on your new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness in holiness. That is who you are in Christ. Information is not transformation. Let me pray. Father, I do pray that you would help us and enable us by your spirit to practice being who we are. It is not easy, it is not natural, and it takes work, and we need your help. We cannot do this apart from you. You have told us we can do nothing apart from you. So help us, King Jesus. Give us much grace. Be gentle with us as we struggle, as we fumble, as we take one step forward and two steps back. But Father, help us. Help us to not be dominated by our old selves, but to live in the newness of life you've called us to. 
We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.